When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Hey there, welcome back to the Winning Plays Podcast with Brian Robb. I am Rich Levine. Mike Pina still on his sabbatical, kicking ass over at GQ, so please check him out. He, check him out over there. Over here, Celtics are four and two in the bubble, locked into the three C in the East. We're gonna take a look at some of the high points from this current three-game winning streak. We'll rank the potential first-round matchups against either the Sixers, Heat, or Pacers, it seems. We'll also have an interview with the director of a new Paul Pierce documentary. Very cool. Uh, but first, as always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you listen. Give us a follow on Twitter. That is at WinningPlaysPod. Shout-out to CLNS Media. Shout-out to Bet Online, Brian Robb. Uh, sort of a, an uneven start for the Celtics in the bubble, but kind of grooving right now. They're They're, they're, they're kind of... I don't know. It, 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 you want to be critical because you, you expect the best for this team, but right now they're they're looking pretty good. Yeah, the the Magic game wasn't particularly uh, pretty, but it was a game where they rallied enough and figured out a way to win, which counts for something when they weren't really playing for anything. But that's the thing for me. Yeah, it's like I, it's yeah. hard to get too bad at shit. And even like I, I didn't even love seeing the, them the starters in the game still in overtime. Yeah, it's a couple. I think Hayward and Tatum got close to forty minutes there, which was like, okay, like we don't really need this that much, do we? But at the same time, that is, Brad Stevens has talked about wanting to simulate playoff situations, and when you have a quick ramp up situation like we have had over the last couple of weeks, getting one of those games in is probably not the worst thing in the world, assuming that everyone came out healthy, which it looks like they did. And winning, it would it would it would be it would, it would suck to go through all that and then and then not get the victory, but to uh, to put yourself through that, get another W. Uh, I think one of the highlights, I think maybe the number one highlight across Celtics Nation right now, has been the emergence of Time Lord uh, Rob Williams, who you know we sort of had, you know we were getting our hopes up a little coming up to coming into the bubble, then you know nothing against Milwaukee. Uh, did he play against Portland? Not not much. Not much against Portland, right? No, I don't think at all against Portland. And he was only in the game for the last like thirty seconds against the Heat, just to guard the inbounds and give a couple of fouls. So he pretty much three DNPs for him to start in the bubble. And then Brooklyn, Toronto, Orlando. We're seeing a guy who appears to have. I mean, I don't know if we can say that he something has clicked, or maybe he's just getting a chance. But like, what what have you seen? from Williams these last three games that that has you excited moving forward? I think first and foremost is the finishing on the offensive end in terms of knowing where spots are and getting the ball up quick, um, whether it's on the lobs or on the dishes uh, from other guys in the paint, because that is something Ennis Cantor is great at rebounding, not great at finishing. Uh, been a little better, basket. been a little better in the bubble, but yeah, generally speaking, not not the greatest finisher. Uh, pretty drastic uh, c- uh, contrast in athleticism between those two players. <laughs> I, w- I, w- I would say so. <laughs> As I maybe the most uh, the biggest 
divide in all of the uh, the bubble, but the yin and yang of NBA. The yin and yang, and so right, and so at other times Williams has this is something he even struggled with in summer league last year, where he just couldn't if he was in a crowd, um, just didn't get the ball quickly, or just didn't have the confidence to to finish with authority. Now he's getting it, and he's taking care of business quickly. He's sealing off guys. Again, only three games, but he did it against some real competition here. He did it against, uh, particularly against the Raptors and the Magic, which have obviously some good big men. So uh, that's number one. And then defensively, it's kind of been up and down, but the he's more disciplined. He's still making some mistakes, but it's a lot more consistent than we saw in back in November and October, where the last time he got consistent playing time, I feel like. So is it perfect no but it's something where brad stevens brought him in as the first guy off the bench three straight games and i feel like that means something rich yeah it was a couple of things first of all the six to six from the line is great to see not mm-hmm. only has he made everyone but he just looks so calm and confident up there he looks like a foul shooter uh another thing is crazy because you look at that toronto game right he, he played 11 minutes and 30 seconds and i would have guessed it was it was somewhere around 20 just by the way the way he affected the game and you have a guy like that who can make such an impact in a short amount of time, and and again, that's that's all the Celtics are really going to need from him. They're not they're not asking uh, Robert Williams to be a 25, 30 minute a night guy to be successful. But if he can do what he's doing in those briefs minutes and those in those spurts, you know, what, you know, some nights they might not need it, you know. But a nice if you if that's like a you know break in case of emergency, uh, you know, move for 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 Brad, that's fantastic. Um, I think his ability to 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 when I say extend plays, whether it's like a tap out, right, or just get to balls, whether an offensive rebound, defensive rebound, that, like you said, because of that athleticism, uh, there a lot of guys on that team in the league can't do what he's able to do, you know. And then we, you have situations where obviously the the NBA, you're, this is like the top of the top in terms of, terms of human athleticism, right? And within that arena, you know, between Jalen and Robert Williams, and you know, maybe even Marcus to a certain extent you can have like the elite of the elite athletes out there and that and that and that's not what when you think of the celtics you don't necessarily think of that but they, they have a few units now that you can put out there if you have time lord doing what he's doing where they could have the edge athletically yeah and it seems like it's been the trio off the bench that stevens has liked playing together here is is rob williams smart and brad wanamaker and then mixing and matching two starters with those guys but it's been as you know Game, not game-changing runs in all the last three games when those guys came in again, but you know the, the starters came out flat against the Magic, and then those guys came in and got some easy offense. But it's... I think Rob Williams' net rating is about like 7.8, which is second best on the team. Again, very limited sample size, but the team is seeing success when he's on the floor, getting baskets in easier ways with him um, running to the rim. And the passing has kind of always been an untapped resource for him, but he's made a couple nice looks on you know guys cutting late guys you know being kind of a step ahead of where the defense wants to be and again that's just a different element that Cantor doesn't really give you so I don't know my question for you now Rich is like who who is Williams going to be effective against in the playoffs in terms of the east whether it's first round series second round series we don't have to talk about those teams specifically but like who do you like him against over say a Cantor or a Grant Williams well, clearly Toronto, <laughs> given, the, <laughs> given the very small sample size. But I don't know. I mean, when, you, when you talk about the 
the teams that you that their Celtics are really going to have to worry about size wise: Milwaukee, Philly. When you have another guy of that height and athleticism who can handle, and again, we, we don't want to get too carried away. Um, I mean, those those are the teams that that they need him. You know, against a Milwaukee where you need. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you're at the point where you're going to, you know, have uh, Rob Williams guarding Giannis yet, but he could be a big help. He could be a big help maybe on a Brook Lopez, right? Well, well, well. Other people are, are dealing with Giannis. Um, I think it's those teams, those longer, more athletic teams, where you're going to hopefully lean on him a little bit more. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if he trusts Brad Stevens trusts him to guard the three point line in those series because when you have if you have him guard a Brook Lopez, right? Um, Giannis to a lesser degree. I just think, I mean, Giannis has the power factor a little bit more over Williams, which, you know, he hasn't, hasn't really been exploited by him in the bubble, but um, I could see obviously that being a factor on the inside. But if, you know, we know that he has the length to guard the three point line, but does he have the discipline? Is he going to not bite on, on pump fakes or just over rotate and throw the entire rest of the, the defense in flux because of it? So that's the stuff where, He's made some important strides here, and I think at the very least we'll get a shot. And it'll be a, probably be a short leash, um, but as of right now, like I, I've seen no reason why he shouldn't be the first man off the bench to at least like start a playoff series. Yeah, and I hope it, I hope it's not that short, you know, because it's gonna it has to happen, right? He's gonna have to go through those growing pains as a as a young big man who you know just hasn't got the reps that he needs. Certainly not in the playoffs. But is there any insight to like to what? happened because you know obviously if there was ever a game that he was going to get run it was it was going to be the the Brooklyn game and was it a matter of just like when they saw what he showed them in that game they had no choice but to just give him another chance against Toronto is it, is it possibly as easy as that I think so and I think it's the Celtics defense was pretty trashy the first three games and even if Cantor is rebounding for you you just know that you know okay he's not going to help you on that end of the floor no matter even if like the team is outscoring the opponent during his time on the floor, like he's a weak spot in defense and maybe sometimes looks out if other teams are missing shots, but Williams at least, you know, covers more ground, obviously provides the room protection that Canada doesn't do. And so I think Brad Stevens has reached a point. Okay. I like, we clearly don't have it all together here. So it's worth seeing, you know, what can Rob Williams give us? What can Romeo Langford give us, which he, you know, he had a, you know, a solid game against the Nets and has kind of disappeared since then. So he might be worth talking about for a second too. But yeah, I think it's evident that the Rob Williams, you know, Marcus Smart duo, you know, that's just putting Smart one of the better passes you have with Williams and letting them play off each other a little bit on the offensive end. That is something that Cantor wasn't able to do as well effectively. So you combine that with the defense and it's kind of like, why not? Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, Williams' passing, too, because that's just another indicator of the game slowing down for him a little bit. Like, at the very least, he sees the floor. You know, right. I think there was that one play. I think he got he got an offensive rebound and then just whipped it out almost in one motion. I think it was DeMarcus uh, at the top of the key, and that sort of triggered a you know a great series of ball movements, and they got a, an easy hoop out of it. Um, but, yeah, that's just something that, that, that he does that you don't get with Cantor. Um, would you so, play both of them in game? Like, what? What's your what's your game plan here? Do you, or you just let? Because Cantor was a DNP against Toronto, came back that, and played the first half against the Magic, but didn't play in the second half. Are they? Is everyone going to get a shot? Does everyone deserve a shot at this point? I don't know. I mean, to to 
in what was arguably their biggest game of the bubble against Toronto um, to just not play him at all. That that's to not play Cantor at all. I don't know. That that seemed pretty glaring to me. And I'm certain. Obviously, there are situations where you're still going to need him, but like, I don't know. <laughs> if, if if there is a series against Toronto in the in, in the second round, I, it's it's hard to imagine that that Ennis is going to be a big part of that game plan. Yeah. Unless this it, is some big long con by Brad, <laughs> and he's going to unleash Cantor in a, right. in a playoff series. Um, that that was that was really telling to me. Yeah. I mean, you're going to need him against Embiid. Um, just from a rebounding and strength standpoint. I don't know, that um, ankle injury. He, 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 that was a right, pretty rough, I mean, rough, rough injury last game right, <laughs> that or, he had to come out with. Was there ever any even video evidence of him getting injured? <laughs> he just kind of decided that, that, that he was done for the day. I did not see the clip. So uh, I, I, I think I read something being like, it wasn't clear where the injury happened. Um, but needless to say, I think if the Celtics get up 2-0 in that series, um, they might be... Uh, Embiid, well, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the that we, team pulls the Celtics from last year. Should we do that? Should we do that that talk real quick right now? Yeah, I think that's where it's. So, we've talked about it enough already. Yeah. So here, here's here's the conversation. So the Celtics are locked into the three seed now, um, which is nice. It would have it would have been annoying for them to ha- potentially have stuff to still play for that in the, these last two. Well, they have something to play for against Memphis. We'll get into that as well. But um, so either Miami, Indiana, or Philly. That's going to be the first round matchup in the playoffs right now for the Celtics, um, and I think we both agree that we want nothing to do with Miami. Is that fair? Yes, that's correct. I mean, it's just you know whether it's you know they have potentially the best player with Jimmy Butler versus just the shooters that they have, and Bam Bam is terrifying. I mean, that guy it shows you the different ways that he can dominate a game. And hey, and I think if it comes down to facing the facing Miami, I think I still might take the Celtics to win that series. But if you're choosing first-round opponents, I think it's pretty clear that that's the, the one that you definitely want to avoid. Yeah, it's just, I think, probably the most well-coached in that, a best-coached team in that group of those three teams, and just most shooters. Anytime you have the, I think, probably like seven or eight, not elite, but like above-average three-point shooters on a team, then that's your roll in the dice whenever you're playing that team. And the Celtics have are capable of defending the three-point line well, but there's a lot of just misdirection there, a lot of good distributors, and you're probably going to get a healthy Jimmy Butler after he's rested the last week or so um, on a bum ankle. So, yeah, I I think the odds are highly against that you're going to get the heat anyway, but clearly that's the the worst-case scenario. So the the currently, as we record this, the Pacers and the Heat will play tonight, and they're going to play one more time. So... um, you're going to get a couple losses between two of them, but the Sixers are a game back of both at the moment. They're obviously down Ben Simmons for the foreseeable future and Embiid certainly for the rest of these games. So the Sixers have to finish out two and one or three and no to get out of the sixth seed. And I just don't see them doing that with their current personnel, Rich, uh, knowing that you can't lose anyone else for the playoffs. Yeah. And has there been word? Are you saying that, that Embiid isn't going to play for the, I'm I'm rolling him out right now. I'm just like like <laughs> you're. I'm the the Sixers trainer. Any if if he had a bad scratch from the other game, like you're not playing him these last. I mean, is it worth it to really get out of playing the Celtics versus the Heat? I don't necessarily think the Heat are that much easier matchup for them um, in the first round. Yeah, or anyway, and I guess and at that point the conversation becomes: Is it worth Joel Embiid even playing 
the rest of this session playoffs or not at all. You know what I mean? I, I don't know what really they have to gain, what, what the Sixers have to gain by by running out a guy who's injury prone, who has, you know, bad limbs as it is to put him in a situation where potentially he's going to get hurt. And again, there's not that much time to recover before the start of next season. But I mean, all the, all these reasons we're talking right now, I, this is why if I have my choice, like bring on the Sixers. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is that if you, if you, if you get the Sixers in the first round, you go up two Oh, you go up even one Oh, maybe it's not going to take much for that team to fold. Like the Pacers, the Heat, th- th- those teams aren't going away in a playoff series. Especially, I mean, it's a little bit easier probably for the Celtics now because they don't have to go on the road. Um, but you know that's going to be a series all the way through against Miami or Indiana. But you get up, you 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 put the the Sixers in a situation where they where they are, you know, where they need to step up. And I don't think they're going to. I think that they'll run the other way. So that for me, that the the, the Embiid uncertainty and just the g- general makeup of this team right now with the Simmons hurt and with Embiid being the, the leader, um, I just I just think that they're primed to to be swept in the first round. Well, it is a situation where, on top of all the the mental stuff that you mentioned in terms of where their heads at as a team, they just don't have the horses. From a, I mean, their defense in the bubble has been brutal. I think probably the worst out of any team of the twenty two teams down there, and. You're going to have the likes of, you know, you have Harris you and, and Richardson, which are solid defenders, but their bench wings are Corkmaz and Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson, and a bunch of guys the Celtics, like, didn't even want to give up a second-round pick for um, <laughs> a couple of months ago. So it's a situation where the Celtics, that has the potential to be a first-round, um, not a complete walkover in the cards, but... Um, you know, Al Horford is not going to be able to rally the troops there into a team that gives the Celtics a scare in that kind of a series, I feel like. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, and, and not that you're ever sort of game planning against Simmons, Simmons' offense, although I guess you are in a sense. I mean, the half court, not so much. But, like, when it gets to the point where really your focal point for, for game planning against the Sixers is only, okay, what do we do to, to stop Embiid? Um when it, I, I, and I like Brad Stevens's chances when it comes to that, knowing what he's surrounded by. And again, like, like T- Tobias Harris can can put up points, right? Like he's a he's I'm not gonna say he's an elite scorer, but he's pretty good, especially if he's you know the number one, let's say the one B option. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Shake Milton's not not concerning you. Like Richardson is is much better. When the, he looked much better, was surrounded by who he was surrounded by at the beginning of this season. Um, when he when he moves up on the uh, and the chain a little bit like you're not as, as worried about Richardson um yeah but just generally speaking bring on bring on the Sixers and obviously like the Pacers you know with, with Warren playing the way that he is and you know so any new, more word on Sabonis like is he is there a chance he comes back for the playoffs it's been dead silent on that front since the initial report that he's out of the bubble indefinitely so at this point I would be surprised if he comes back because if you're the Pacers, you're probably thinking about next season more than this season right now, um, knowing that throwing him back into a series without the conditioning is probably not going to get you more than a couple wins at best. Yeah, that's a good call. Do you, but like this TJ Warren phenomenon, I mean, we've had a lot of surprising performances in the bubble that we'll get to a little later on. Um, are you 
does from a town level standpoint, it's easy decision with Simmons out of the picture, but would you have wanted to avoid Indy at all just because they're playing much better than Philly if Philly was at full strength? Potentially. And and I think and that's what I'm trying to figure out right now is that how much because there are so many variables, right, in this in, in these seeding games, just in terms of like who's playing teams that that you know still have a lot to play for, who like teams that you know certain games where certain guys are resting. Like I, like part of me wants to throw out the first few months of the season and just focus on what's happening right now because these are the teams that are playing well right now. These are the teams that that have adjusted better to the bubble. You would think like it's hard to imagine. And, and it could very well happen, right? I'm leaving room to be wrong here. But given what we've seen from the Lakers, right, are they going to be able just to turn it on and uh, and be who they were before this? But um, I, I'm I, at this point, I'm more I'm worried about the hot hand, about the hot team, um, and I'm I'm taking that to be more of a of a reality than than the bigger picture of this season. So that's why, yeah, I, w- I would I would want to avoid probably Indiana over over the over Philly and again Ben Simmons a Philly team like you don't you're not looking forward to playing them but I just think the Pacers are probably a better team and like I said this the, the Sixers even at full strength were just so combustible even before they arrived in the bubble so I think you know given the choice I would still I would go with Indiana how about you have have Ben Simmons and Embiid played their last game together uh no they okay. haven't they, I they, agree. they, they, they I, I think that they should they should have but I don't think the the Philly brass has the has the balls to make a, a move like that even no, though see, I think that that's what's best for him I guess you gotta try to get a new coach in there first before you you pull that button um but it is it is uh not good times in Philly right now but yeah I agree if you I I still think I would take the Pacers over the Sixers if everything is healthy just I I'm I think the Pacers are just the uh, the regular season juggernaut, if you will. I think when everything tightens up in the the postseason, you know T.J. Warren isn't going to be going for forty or forty five points. He's when you have when you're game planning for him, as opposed to you know just getting just waiting for him to come room. back to earth on his own. Right, volition. exactly. I just think that is um, you're in better shape there. If Sabonis was there, that would have been a different story for Mu. But without Sabonis in the picture, it's um, I would take Sixers. But again, that's a moot point now. Um, both those teams are down bodies and surprisingly the Celtics um, with two games to go are healthy and even though they have nothing to play for in the standings there is something to play for potentially within the future draft pick category on Tuesday against the Grizzlies team holding on for dear life um, (laughs) for the eight seed out west they will be in a play-in game um, if they do make it in but it's possible that they they fall out entirely of the playing situation if they lose out and a couple teams on their heels win out. So, uh, you're Brad Stevens for this game, Rich. Um, you got a call from from Danny Ainge or Mike Zarin saying, "Hey, like, if you're gonna rest the guys, uh, one of these last two games, uh, might want to wait till Thursday." And uh, how do you how do you handle this? And what's uh, what's your? I guess there's no real excitement. It's only three or four draft slots here, but anything helps in that front, I guess. Yeah, sure. Actually, but before I give my my highly anticipated take on that, let me just say that that sports keep coming back. Be Rob in case you haven't noticed, and so is your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball has finally started this summer and is in full swing. There's no shortage of ways to get into the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. 
And as sports start to return, BetOnline has sat down with Eddie George from the NFL, Robert Ori, seven-time NBA champ, and Harold Reynolds from Major League Baseball to get their opinions on what it will be like to be playing without fans in what they are calling the fandemic. Uh, visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Uh, BetOnline is your online wagering experts. And, uh, and yeah, no, I think I think the Celtics are going to play to win uh, on Tuesday. We're doing this on, on Monday afternoon. I think I think that, that tomorrow... The the and and I think obviously this is leading up to Thursday Thursday's noon Eastern start against the Wizards <laughs> where I think Taco Fall might play forty eight minutes. Uh, Brad Stevens might actually get some run. Um, I, I think that given given in case this, this is the last game, uh, let's say this is the last real game before uh, before the playoffs, uh, you a, they actually do have something to play for. You know, I, I think that it does behoove the Celtics to 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 knock Memphis out of the playoffs. And I think that they are going to try and do that. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, again, like I told you, I, I didn't love seeing uh, the starters out there in, in overtime against the Magic. I was like, oh, you know, this is when injuries happen, right? When you're tired, when you're when you're not used to playing these minutes um, against a team that really, you know, is playing probably not harder, but you know, has more to play for, I guess, more to prove. Right. Um, but yeah, but I think I think that uh, on Tuesday against Grizzlies, we're going to see the 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 Celtics. Go go all out to get that win, and 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 I guess I don't blame them, right? You got to you got to find the challenges where you can in this bubble. You got to you find you inspire your team in any way you can, uh, and this and this is one of them. Yeah, that's the only scary thing about, and maybe it's just because over the last couple seasons they've lost guys in the situation in the meaningless games at the end of the year. Um, yeah, and maybe Marcus Marcus Smart maybe shouldn't play. I, that's what I was gonna Smart. say. I I might just sit out Smart if I'm Stevens. And just be like, listen, I don't trust you not to be diving in and doing your thing, um, given what had happened the last. I guess the two years ago he got hurt, you know, far before the end of the season. But it has been a couple of bad breaks on that front. And yeah, I think you, you turn off Marcus's alarm clock. We got like a DeAndre Ayton thing. Maybe he can miss his, <laughs> miss his, his, his COVID test before the game, and then they have just no choice but to, but to sit him. Because yeah, the more I'm thinking about this, I'm terrified. <laughs> But it is, at the same time, it's good to get that challenge in when you can. With a, you still are going to have a week to rest here, essentially, before the playoffs start next week on Monday or Tuesday. So, you know, you get everyone in. I'd say, you know, you play them, but you play them 28, 30 minutes. You don't try to overdo it. And you, you try to get everyone out of there in one piece, first and foremost. And um, the Grizzlies will be hungry, but... I guess luckily in this situation they don't play much defense anyway, and so they're going to be looking to have a shootout and beat you that way. And that's something that you know fewer injuries happen in a situation like that rather than a a defensive slugfest. Yeah, and they're you know they're 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 down they're down Jackson right he's out for the year. I mean this is a team and Valanciunas you know has always been a little bit tough on the Celtics just because he's so big, but you know it's a team that's playing Anthony Tolliver thirty minutes a game. Grayson Allen played 33 minutes against the Raptors. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you know, Ja's going to be Ja. Um, Dylan Brooks is going to shoot a lot. But, like, this is a game that you would think that, you know, if you really did come in the way you need to, you know, with that mindset that you want to win this game, you want to put the Grizzlies away, ideally this is a game where you could be, you know, you could have the starters out by by the fourth quarter anyways, given the, the current state of their team. But like you said, they're playing for their lives. Uh, for their playoff lives, um, and 
you know know that they have a great test against the Celtics, so they're gonna they're gonna be up for that game. But uh, it, it would, like I said, I, I still think that they're gonna play that play to win. But it it's it would just suck. <laughs> I mean, it's it, to 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 lose someone that matters in a game that doesn't matter all that much. Because um, like I said, they they could they could lose. The Celtics could beat them, and the Grizzlies could still end up in the playoffs. It's right. Not, it's not like it's you know it's one game to decide all. But uh, I expect to see the the Celtics get, go out there strong. Um, who do we like in this West race right now? It's you have Memphis with a half game lead over Portland. San Antonio is a game back. Phoenix, who is six and zero in the bubble after beating the Thunder on Monday, uh, are also a game back. So. Phoenix and San Antonio are going to need help to get in, um, but it's gonna. I think this is working out pretty perfectly for the NBA. Rich, this play-in situation, which will happen on Saturday and another game on Sunday if necessary, if uh, the nine seed wins game one, since they have to beat the eight seed twice to get in. But it, it's pretty fun. It's making a lot of these games fun for what would otherwise be irrelevant teams in the bubble. And I don't know. I I kind of hope that this format sticks around. Or some version of this format sticks around long term. Yeah, no, it's cool. I know it's not it's not as easy as just snapping your fingers and say, "Hey, let's do this again," because you know you're not going to be in a bubble. You're going to be all these other things. But yeah, it's going to be, you know, the, the closest thing to like the like the MLB wild card game or or like a March Madness kind of thing. And especially like you know, I, I imagine that you know Adam Silver might be okay if the if the Spurs don't don't make it. But if you're in a situation when you have you know whether it's Booker. Uh, versus Lillard or Ja versus Lillard, you get some of those some of those marquee stars on this you know winner take all. I mean, not necessarily, but in a potentially winner take all uh, for one team <laughs> uh, game, especially if it goes to a second game, right? Well, then it's really winner take all. I think that would be pretty awesome, and I think that would be a great way to kick off the NBA playoffs. It might be a little bit like anticlimactic to have something like that, and then go into those kind of the doldrums of like the first round where where the, the the games are spaced out and i imagine they're going to be a lot of uh blowouts and i i actually think they're going to be more sweeps this year just because of a lack of uh home court advantage but um yeah it would be pretty great to to see them somehow work it in and, and we'll see maybe this will be the beginning of the, the nba just broadening their their approach altogether and getting more creative uh, to the playoffs because you know, you know, like we've talked about, you now this the end of this season is is messed up. But it's not like the 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 idea of of, of uh, COVID or just uh, like this is this is going to be a theme. It's not going to be in a bubble next year, but the next season is going to be a weird one as well. Yeah, I, I hope it's a a change uh, of just philosophy in terms of how you handle these doldrums games, like the last 10, 20 games of the year, and. Because the one thing we've had in the bubble is we haven't had a lot of meaningless games. And that is a plus for the product. And I believe friend of the podcast, uh, Ryan Brandoni at Danger Cart, I think wrote an article about this, you know, um, advocating for also lottery teams to have, you know, be rewarded by something, by wins, um, you know, in future seasons. So you just don't have to deal with the the tanking component of this all as long as possible throughout the season, not only for teams fighting for the playoffs, but teams that have no chance. So it's something where the league has looked at it a ton already. Um, hopefully some success here with the playing situation and the, the type of basketball we've seen over the last few weeks uh, will give them extra time on that front. I have to say though, Rich, I'm very surprised here that you're not 
he haven't taken the opportunity to talk about the Lakers being uh, a perfect team to to fall in a one eight situation um, oh, man. to heard, one of these. I mean- as, 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 as nice as nice as this Phoenix storyline is, and I mean, it'd be cool to see them go undefeated. I think, I mean, I want Portland to get that to get that. Spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not alone in that. I'm not the first person to say that, but I, I don't. I, I mean, that is going to be because crazy because obviously, like, like LeBron's already making his like passive aggressive like comments about like playing without without fans and and that there's some off the court stuff going on with the Lakers and sort of building up the excuses for a potential uh, first round exit. But I mean, if, if if they if they draw the Blazers, I mean that's that's going to be tough. And again, who knows, right? They they could they could sweep the Blazers in four. Maybe this is all a ploy. Maybe you know the the LeBron will will turn it on because he's he's not looked great in the bubble. Maybe somehow he's he's just conserving himself for the playoffs. But uh, yeah, you know that that's what I am. I, I like to predict things early, and then I don't, I don't need to I don't need to do a victory lap if if it comes true early. Maybe I'll just wait. I did see that Pina wrote a story about how the Lakers are not going to win the the title. Which I, I was I was a little offended by, considering he was the the Lakers, <laughs> the, the Lakers supporter here and poop. That's why he's on sabbat- sabbatical, so he didn't have yes, to he's been address it head on. Actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that I, I'm. I'll, I'll say that I'm looking very much forward to a potential Blazers Lakers first round match. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's start to wrap things up. I think we want to talk about Gordon uh, real quick. And you you had read or uh, he had, he had made some comments. Uh, after the Orlando game, which he was stellar in that game, and that's not the first game that we've seen him be uh, play at a level that just for Celtics fans, for the Celtics organization, is just kind of beyond inspiring. When you're talking about where he came from and and what the Celtics are going to need from him to be the best that that they can be, but you know what? So what did he say about sort of his his mindset and just the, like how the approach that he's taken to being more aggressive on the court? Yeah, I mean, he pretty much was like, listen, I think we're at our best when I'm aggressive and attacking. So that is something we haven't seen a ton of of him from him during the pre-bubble uh, portion of the season. Uh, understandably so, given the breakouts of Tatum, Brown, and Campbell, he was largely the number four option on a lot of nights and did other things that the Celtics needed. But with Kemba still working his way back in and guys having off nights he has been more aggressive in the bubble he's averaging a team high 5.3 free throws a game which i think is noteworthy um he's averaging you know shooting 50 percent from the field despite having an off shooting nights from three-point range and he's just getting to the rim a lot more which we saw in that magic game i think there's a couple of times one-on-one situations against bigs you know old gordon or the Gordon of last year would pull up from three or just pull up from mid-range there. Now he's actually beating guys to the rim and doing it with pretty, not like complete ease, but like with a little pop in his step there. So, And I it, personally, I've stopped kind of... I, I, and like, the, like before the, this bubble, every time he did that, I was just terrified. Right? You, sure. You, you're just still you're still scarred from what happened in Cleveland so many years ago. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm almost stopped thinking about that, and, and you get the sense that Gordon has too. Finally, right? That's the, that's the important thing that he's attacking with. Sort of, he he doesn't have that little part of his mind anymore. That's remembering the one time he went up and almost lost his career for it. It's a good point, and so this is what the guy the Celtics are going to need to get past the Bucks or the Raptors in these games. 
And the fact that he's been so consistent in Orlando on that front when that's really been an issue for him in the last couple of years, it's it's an encouraging thing because the you look back to last year's Bucks series, Kyrie falling apart was story number one, but Hayward falling apart was, I think, the second top story out of, that came out of that series in terms of how much of a zero he was on the defensive end after the first uh, after that first game. So he's performed better, you know, in these games against both good teams and bad here, and whether that can sustain, um, whether he can he gets the shots that he should be getting. I think Brad Stevens is going to have to just make it a priority being like certain parts of the game. It's going to be, we need to run things through him and that way he gets the shots or he's getting other people good shots because, um, you feel better about him doing that than almost any other guy on the roster. And I think a great, a great thing about Gordon and, and let's throw Kemba into this, into this group as well. You know, the two, two veterans on the Celtics who, you know, might, on other teams or other veterans might, you know, not be okay for the times when, when it's not being run through them. Right. So when you have like, let's say Kyrie, for example, you know, like there, there are going to be nights when, when Gordon and Kemba, not that they're non-factors, but when the offense and the stars are going to be Tatum and Jalen. And I think on those nights, you don't have to worry about, about either of those guys sulking in the corner or, or getting upset, you know, once you get back to the room and, and stewing over, you know, not getting theirs. I think that they're ready. They're ready to be aggressive. They're ready to to step up when when it's called for, but don't need it every single night, right? They they are pretty egoless when it comes. You know, Gordon and Kemba on the scale of veterans in the NBA, especially get veterans that have accomplished what they have. Uh, it's a pretty great combo for two. You know, I don't know if you even call Jalen and Jason rising stars anymore. You might just have to call them two two stars. But uh, it's it's a pretty great combination. And it's a unique opportunity right now. You're probably going to have to go through Milwaukee any other series to get to the finals um, in terms of on their home court for a, a game seven or, you know, just home court advantage in general. This year, you don't have that. You have the neutral court, and that is a situation where you have that, you have good health, and you're probably only going to have this core together for maybe one more year. Uh, because given how the future CBA looks and where the caps potentially staying flat or falling, you're not going to be able to afford all these guys for too much longer unless Hayward, unless someone's taking a big sacrifice to win um, from a financial standpoint. So uh, the, the present is pretty important right now and things are, you know, this team has plenty of question marks still, but um as far as health standpoint and the guys, your core kind of playing up to their capabilities, uh, a lot of good things so far uh, for this group. Yeah. Okay. So should, should we uh, transition into to the spe- special guest for for today? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear. I know you talked to him. Yeah, recently. no. So so I came across, you know, I think it was at the end of July, uh, the Celtics and NBC Sports Boston uh, released a, a new mini documentary on Paul Pierce, just a story of, of, of where he came from. Because you hear a lot about Pierce at Kansas, obviously, with the Celtics. You don't, you know, everyone knows he's from Inglewood, but you don't know too much about, you know, what happened when he was growing up in Inglewood. Uh, so I had a chance to to talk with the director of the movie, uh, as Steve Davis. He's from, from the Cape, so a huge Celtics fan. And he took uh, about 10, 15 minutes. I think the interview's down, like, as about eight minutes or so. But uh, just to talk about the Celtics a little bit, uh, what it was like making this movie, a little bit about Paul Pierce, and uh, 
I think you guys will enjoy it. Steve Davis, director of the new documentary, Inglewood Made, a Paul Pierce story, is joining us right now. Steve, first of all, obviously, thanks for coming. Second, what is the, just right off the bat, what's the best way for people to watch this movie right now? Is it get get on YouTube and search for Inglewood Made? Is that the, the easiest way to direct them? Hey, Rich, thanks uh, for having me, first of all. And yeah, people can check out Inglewood Made, a Paul Pierce story, directly on the Celtics YouTube channel or NBC Sports Boston YouTube channel, or they can also see it directly on NBCSportsBoston.com. Cool. All right. So we're we're gonna talk more. You know, we're gonna talk more about this movie. But first, you grew up in Cape Cod, huge Celtics fan. What is like? What's the Celtics team of your childhood? Like when you go back to like your first Celtics memories? Like who who is on the court? Man, it's gotta be the. It, it was probably earlier before the 2002 Eastern Conference Finals lost to the Nets, but that's the one that sticks out most to me with that that Antoine Walker Paul Pierce duo. And the and the, the the comeback is that the one the that comeback exactly. <laughs> All right, so like yeah. Kenny Anderson, Kenny Anderson, Walter McCarty, <laughs> uh, who else was on that team? We're missing some good ones. Eric Williams, I believe, was a very good. Eric uh, Williams, yes, Eric Williams. That's who it was. Yeah, it's hard because that you know. The Batman, okay, a good shout out to the Batman. Yeah, it's funny because those, you know, those those were for Celtics fans of a certain age. That was really the first taste of not even winning, just like legitimacy. And you know, a lot of people forget, especially the young crowd these days on the internet, forget about <laughs> you know that's kind of when Paul Pierce really hit his stride was in those early two thousands before the big three and before you know KG and Ray Allen came to Boston. He was you know. I think at one point he was averaging 25 a game for a season, and he was just an all-out star. But the real ones, no. The real ones remember <laughs> how great of a you know stone cold killer he was, especially in the clutch. Right, and that's the thing. And you know, and we talked about this a little bit. Is that like, and, and you know, what? I'm I'm happy for Paul in retirement, but because of like his, you know, just his vibe now, he's just a little bit more carefree. He's a little bit goofier, maybe we'll say, is that you can easily forget really, not just that he was putting up 25, 26 points a game during that time, but how he was doing it. Just one of the toughest, hardest, nastiest dudes out there. Yeah, I mean, Pierce, yeah, in those in those early 2000s, you know, he was drafted in 98, so right out of then, I mean, he was stabbed in a nightclub, and he played all 82 82- Games that season. Do you remember? Do you remember who drove him to the hospital? Which player? Uh, it was Tony Batie. It was. <laughs> I want to get a second Tony Batie reference into this into this yeah, interview. Exactly. Um, so tell me a little bit how you got how you came to make this documentary. So first of all, you were you were hired to to make a video for the the beginning of Paul Pierce's retirement ceremony, right? Yeah. So um, I actually work for a company called the Famous Group. We're based in Culver City, California. And uh, we've been uh, working with the Boston Celtics the past four years, creating their in-stadium uh, intro videos. Yeah, so the Celtics hired us to uh, film some interviews for uh, Paul's Jersey retirement ceremony, and we interviewed his you know, uncle, his best friend, his high school coach, his mentor in Inglewood, Scott Collins, who's actually a local police officer. But um, all of these people really kind of shaped him into the basketball player that he became and ultimately uh you know went to kansas and had uh, a great uh few years there and then ultimately being drafted by the celtics but 
this is really sort of the untold story of his journey in Inglewood, growing up a Lakers fan. We won't hold that against him. Climbing the ranks. I mean, I don't want to give away the whole story. I'd love for people to go out and watch it. But um, I think we got a lot of great uh, kind of insight into, you know, the kid he was. And, um, you know, he he wasn't the star of his team right off the bat. He had some struggles where he was kind of riding the bench, uh, you know, his, you know, freshman, sophomore years. And um, I'll leave it there. But it's a really fun... um, entertaining story and I think uh, excuse me and I think Celtics fans will uh, really enjoy it did you learn anything I mean I'm sure you learned a bunch about Paul during this process but like is there anything that jumps out to you right now off the top of your head they're like that maybe that you didn't know about Paul or that uh, you know maybe you didn't understand completely until you started going down this rabbit hole yeah I mean I think it was sort of uh, it was a, it was a really good learning experience in that when you're talking to these people, it's like you really got a good inside look of how much each person that I spoke to really cared about Paul and his uh, development and his journey. Um, Englewood, obviously, at that time when he was growing up, there were a lot of uh, gangs and a lot of ways to kind of get into trouble, and all these people that really. Um, you know, looked after him, really guided him away from all that, and having that support system around him at such a young age, uh, you know, was really instrumental in, you know, getting to where he ultimately landed. Have you have you heard from Paul at all uh, since the release of the movie? Or um, I personally have not, but um, I got word from uh, one of our PR guys at the famous group actually saw him at a... Uh, Baskin Robbins. It was actually the day. <laughs> it was actually the day after we released it, and uh, he was like, "Hey, did you check out the film?" And he's like, "Yeah, I saw it. I loved it. Thank you so much." So, and he got a photo. He got a selfie with Paul, and he sent it to me. And I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." That's so, like some divine intervention. The day after you release the movie, you, you have someone happens to run into Paul Pierce at a Baskin Robbins. Unbelievable. <laughs> Cool. All right, let's wrap this up with some talk about the bubble. Let me ask you this: what has what has uh, impressed you the most in the bubble? What what has you most excited? I think the last two games against uh, Brooklyn and Toronto, the way we were really moving the basketball and passing it around, and guys are moving off ball. That's I think when we're at our best. I think uh, you know, there's at times we have so many guys that can score the basketball. Sometimes I can just get comfortable in these ISO situations where it's just one guy dribbling and four guys standing around on the perimeter. But when these guys are actually moving off ball, setting screens for each other, moving the basketball, it showed in those two blowout wins that, you know, that's the team that I think ultimately everybody wants to get to. And that's the team that we all believe in that can, you know, make it to the finals. And what do you think about Kemba? Is, is there reason to be concerned? Because he came out great. Um, he, yeah, he looked a little off today, but I think, I don't know, I think sometimes he just takes a backseat because he saw Gordon was cooking today and, you know, Jalen and those guys. So, And that's, that's I think, something that all Celtics fans, at least me for sure, love about Kemba is that he's not like a ball-dominant guy like uh, a point guard we won't name that we had <laughs> last year. <laughs> all right, so Steve Davis, one more time. I want to, can you tell everyone, so the movie is Inglewood made a Paul Pierce story, Steve Davis directed it and had his hands and I think every part of the process and I, I, I watched it it's only 15 minutes a really great really great story like I said it kind of reads like an origin story or, or feels like an origin story to me of you know what went into 
to creating uh, you know, a future Hall of Famer and one of the greatest Celtics in team history. So one more time, Steve, where can everyone watch this again? Uh, you guys can check it out on YouTube on either the NBC Sports Boston or Boston Celtics official YouTube pages or directly on NBCSportsBoston.com. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, everyone should check out that movie. You know, like you said, you can see it on the, the uh, Celtics YouTube page. You can see it on NBC Sports Boston uh, uh, YouTube page. You can just go to YouTube and you can Google and you can just enter search uh, Inglewood Made and, and you'll find it. It's a, it's a great movie. Uh, and B-Rub, anything we want to... Uh, to wrap up with so we have the the tomorrow night we're doing this on monday so tomorrow night is the grizzlies you got the 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 wizards on on thursday at noon and then we can start talking some some playoffs huh yeah we'll be back later this week uh to preview that first round matchup i think it's going to be uh it's i think it's going to start either monday or tuesday for the celtics first round series uh i do expect nbc sports boston to get their highest ratings of the year on thursday when taco is probably playing 30 35 minutes against the wizards in a, in a noon matinee. I will say um, not many teams have that, have that Trump card that they can play when, when there's no other reason to watch a game that you can just roll out a taco fall to, to, to get the ratings booming. <laughs> but yeah, the, so we'll get back uh, with you guys later this week. Once we have the seating settled and knowing who the Celtics will face off against in the first round of the Eastern conference playoffs, but that will be, either on Thursday or Friday. So stay tuned for that. And we will, in the meantime, hit us up at winning plays pod on Twitter at Brian T Rob at rich underscore Levine. Um, we'll have plenty of stuff for you guys at Boston sports journal.com as well. Uh, check things out there and we will talk to you again on Thursday.